I try to be evolving and so that my children will eventually break that cycle. They will be the generation that breaks that cycle. So to me, that is so critical because we don't talk about this stuff. You know, like in my mom's generation and her friends, they don't talk about the pain that they go through of general life and what the expectations of society are on uh, on them and what they have to live up to. And they don't realize, you know, how important it is to be vulnerable and to talk and to be open. Hello and welcome to Grief, Gratitude and the Gray in Between podcast. This podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Welcome to today's episode of Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between. Today, I have the honor to interview my friend, Valerie Gershenhorn, and she will be sharing a little bit about her journey of grief and also of the gratitude that came in that process. Valerie, welcome to today's episode. Thank you so much. It's such an honor to be here, Kendra. I am so grateful that you are and that you accepted this invitation to hop on and be able to share your journey, my friend. I know a little bit about your journey of grief, and I think that it's a very inspiring story, and I'd love the listeners to listen in as well. First off, tell me a little bit or tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. So I am 47 years old. I have an incredible husband and three beautiful daughters, and I am a dermatologist, and I really, more than just dermatology, have an incredible passion for health and wellness. It has really become the path and uh, purpose that drives me every day, and a lot of it is from losing my mom as we'll discuss in a moment. So really for me, making an impact on people to know the power of their own bodies and mind in their health journeys and not to rely so much on um, pharmaceuticals or you know things outside or external to themselves to really believe in the power that we all were born with. That is really my journey right now and what I'm striving to teach others as well. And you know, mostly, starting with myself, of course, because that's where all learning comes from. And then my daughters and now more so than ever, my husband who's learning that with me. And then hopefully the many, as many people as I can cause a ripple effect for. That's beautiful. And that is actually how Val and I met was through a health and wellness company that we're both a part of. And, um, it is, yeah, it has been amazing because we met that way, yet we ended up finding out we had so many other levels of our life that were in common and have bonded in many different levels. So oh, yeah. I'm, I'm so, so grateful. Uh, I'm so <laughs> grateful for our friendship too, Kendra. It's, it was such I, a pleasant surprise of this beautiful journey as well. 
Oh, well, I am grateful that you're in my life, my dear. Okay. So now you spoke a little bit then, so you mentioned about your mom. So let's go ahead and go. It's kind of like you take the Band-Aid right off, like in this conversation, since we go straight basically to the point here and tell us a little bit about that experience of your mom passing. So um, my mom um, was an incredible woman. She mm. was an OBGYN. And so she worked really hard at her job. And um, ironically, she herself found at the age of 35, a lump in her breast, um, ended up being breast cancer. And for about 10 years, she on and off fought it uh, like a champion. Uh, so at that age of 12, for me, it was a really huge inflection point. Um, my whole world kind of turned upside down. And she was really the center of my universe. You know, she was everything to me. And so I just watched her in that journey. And I really, at that age, didn't know how to cope. I didn't know about coping mechanisms or things that I'm learning now as an adult with mindset. And uh, she really fought hard. But unfortunately, at the age of uh, 45, she uh, did not, uh, wasn't able to fight any longer. So she had passed and I was about uh, 22 years old at that point. Um, I entered med school and I knew that I really wanted to be a healer, but I just didn't know the path. I was still struggling with my own demons about the grief process. Um, you know, and I'm still going through it. There's really never an after or a finish line, but I do yes. know that what she went through and what it taught me is really the catalyst for me trying to be the best version of myself. And so, wow. yeah, it's, it, it was, it was quite a journey, um, for me. So let's talk a little bit about that journey. So you were 12 when she, uh, was diagnosed or found her own, uh, breast, you know, lump Yes. and the lump in her breast. And then did she go through chemo? Did she, did she do all those routes? What, what did she do for the 10 years that she was in that process of her illness? Yeah. So at the time when she was diagnosed, it was very um, big to do just lumpectomies. So she did that just a portion where had, where the tumor was, was removed. And, um, she didn't at that initial, uh, episode, I believe it was so long ago. And, you know, when you, when you go through mm -hmm. those things, you block things out, but um, she didn't have chemo or radiation at that time. So she just had the surgery to remove the lump. And then five years went by. And those five years were still hard. I would definitely see and feel the sadness that she had. I always mm. felt that she kind of was waiting for the other shoe to drop, so to speak. And then um, after the first five years, she uh, developed, I believe it was a spread to the other breast. So at that point, she had had a bilateral double mastectomy um, and um, went through chemo, which was torturous and everything that goes with that, losing the hair and, and her breasts. And as a woman, as women, unfortunately in society, we um, are forced, I believe, to look at our external part of ourselves as what defines us sometimes. I don't think it's... Um, a blanket statement, I think for a lot of women, it holds true to some degree. And losing the things that identify us as women, our breasts and our hair being like, I think the number one and two, um, really can be traumatic. So 
I watched her go through that and she got a wig and um, she continued to work through all of it. I was going to ask you that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah, That, that just shows right there the, uh, the type of woman that she was. And I, in, in a little bit, I want to actually go back a little bit to her history as well, but you were at this moment, then you were about 17. You were in high yeah, school I started, when she was the, her second. No, or, I was yeah, actually, when she started um, chemo. yeah, I was actually a, a second semester freshman in college. And oh, already. Um, okay, wow. what's so interesting is my mom really wanted me to be independent and kind of go to a college a little bit farther away from home to not feel so sheltered. And I was very adamant about staying close. And so I got into NYU. I got a partial academic scholarship. And I lived in the city and I was really happy that I did make that decision, even though that's not what she wanted. And I believe she was happy in the end because she was diagnosed again in my second semester of my freshman year. So I was able to kind of go with her to chemo and to be able to come home when I needed to and when she needed it. Um, But I will tell you something interesting with my mom and through the very end, through the last day, she never was giving full disclosure of her illness to protect myself Mm. and my brother who was six years younger. So she always kind of hid the truth about um, how it was. And I always knew, I think, so I always found out um, the real deal. But I, I know that she did it because she loved us. But at that time, I was going through so much of my grief that I was upset that she wouldn't tell me the full story. Mm. But now being a mom, I totally get you why. You understand. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, so I was able to be there for her um, more than if I had gone away to Rochester, which was another college that I'd gotten into because I grew up in Long Island. And so it was a really hard time for me navigating, like being out on my own in college, trying to carry the scholarship and then having to um, process this all. And I think it was... um, you know, a huge inflection point in anybody's life, obviously. But um, and then again, she made it another five years. And I remember she went out to California for a medical school reunion. And um, when she had come back, she was complaining of having some neck pain. And again, she told me that everything was okay. And it was around Thanksgiving of 1994 that she had to go to the hospital, that she had um, a lesion in her lung. And it was exactly Thanksgiving Eve um, that we were in the hospital. Mm. And from then it affected her brain. And within you know, two months of that time in January of 1995 is when she passed. So it was really quick um, that last time. At and, that, that last little yeah. bit. Yeah. But I yeah. mean, in general, this was a 10 year process. This was just something that had been going on for 10 years. It was just that last bit that was the hardest to watch probably. Oh yeah. It was the hardest and also the easiest in some sense because it happened so quickly because I watched her go from this incredibly vibrant, um, like she was unstoppable. There was nothing she couldn't do. And even in the hospital, as she was recovering at that last 10-year mark, people were amazed. Like she was done up in makeup and perfectly coiffed and dressed to the nines. Mm. Um, Yet she was really struggling inside. And I think 
because it happened so quickly. It was a more peaceful passing. Um, she passed at home with um, myself there at her side and her, a lot of our family friends. And um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely hard but easy because it was it was faster than some people will go through that last stages. So was your brother there as well? Yeah, he was about to turn 16 and he was in his room at that time. And I think as most boys do, he internalized a lot of it. So we dealt with our grief quite differently. Mm -hmm. I was much more vocal. He was much more closed about it. And um, it, that continues to this day now, almost more than 25 years later. Yeah, so, it's something that it's interesting. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. That, no, that's fine. And it's, it's such a good point that you bring up is that it, you both lost your mom, yet at the same time, the process of grief is just different based on the age you each were, your personalities. I mean, having that I'm one of four children and uh, our sister passed away and then you know, how each of us dealt with her passing. And then afterwards, when our mom passed away, how each of us dealt with that was very different. It was based on our own life experience and our own personalities and our own perceptions of life. So the same loss can affect people differently. And um, that is very good point that you bring up. So sorry, go ahead. You were saying so he was in his, in his he room. He was in his were, room at that time. And then he came out, obviously, and my dad was working. Um, and that's kind of how it's symbolic of just how we all were and how we dealt with things. I mm -hmm. kind of was front and center trying to process. Um, my dad struggled deeply, obviously, but, you know, work was how he handled his grief. Mm -hmm. And my brother, you know, also in his own way um, struggled and he loved her deeply, but it was harder for him um, to face it the way. So I think it was all just meant symbolically just meant to happen the way it was supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Now, do you recall a little bit of that day just um, when the moment, when the transition happened, um, do you, when you think back in that moment, do you see it like as if it's a movie? Do you remember the details? Do you remember the emotions or do you see yourself as this, um, person as if you're watching a movie yeah like if you're like uh, I'm just um, trying to say I'm saying personaje I'm yeah. saying a word in Spanish in my head but that, uh -huh. a character no, I, in a movie you know yeah, that, no, how I, do you remember that I I do remember being there and you know the emotion of it the day before or the day of I can't recall she had lost her ability to speak her vocal cords had become paralyzed she she became paralyzed initially um from the brain involvement and but she was able to still speak but then the day before the day of she actually lost her voice and one of her partners in the OB practice had told everybody to come by because he had felt like this was the sign um so I guess it was probably better <laughs> I'm getting emotional that it's okay she wasn't able to speak because I could only imagine it would be much harder, but um, she kind of just looked at me and just took her last breath. 
Val. Thank you for being just so open and sharing that moment. And for people listening, and the fact, again, this was 1995. I want you all to know, and just like Val said, grief is a journey. It doesn't, there's no beginning or end. And all these moments that we have in our lives in which when we think of our loved ones, either in happy occasions or when we're thinking of the moments of their passing or anything like that, there can still be emotions that are attached to that and um, and for everybody is different and it is normal. And that is, again, why this podcast is so important because we need to normalize this conversation and people to feel that it's okay to feel the way they do and that grief shouldn't be shunned upon. It's, you know, it's a normal emotion. And, um, and I just, I'm so grateful that you shared about that moment. Oh, thank you, Kendra. Um, I, this mom, caught honey. me by surprise. I didn't think I would be. It, you see, that that's the thing. That <laughs> is exactly how grief is. It is just these waves. You, keep, you don't know when a large wave is going to come and just like bring you, you know, down. Right. Um, you know, sometimes you're just there, you know, relaxing in the ocean. And then all of a sudden, whoop, boom, you know, right. the tide just rises. So you, it is unexpected. And um, thank you again for sharing that. I want to talk a little about your mom's um, character uh, because just even how she um, was able to, um, you know, manage still working, even though she was going through all this huge amount of change for 10 years of her life and having a six-year-old son when she was diagnosed and a 12-year-old daughter. I can't even imagine, you know, how she felt. I mean, we both have kids in that ages. So just to even fathom that idea is scary. Um, And so tell me a little bit about her history. What do you, what, you know, your mom, you mentioned she went to um, school, I guess, in California, if her reunion was there, that's where she went to school? No, she actually, we're Persian. So we immigrated to the States when I was an infant. So my parents both um, went to med school back home in Iran in Iran in Iran mm-hmm. oh and so the reunion that they had in California with with friends from Iran that they graduated yeah they from all college. yeah a lot of oh. them had emigrated to California and different parts yeah, of the I states. lived there I yeah I called it Terangelis my <laughs> exactly. dear Terangelis so, I lived in Terangelis yeah. so that's where <laughs> that's why the, I know a little bit of Farsi <laughs> yeah yeah so that's where the reunion was and um oh, okay so her character she was um just exceptional. There was nothing that she couldn't do. She was um, a female OBGYN in a kind of a, a man, a male yeah, run mm-hmm. world at that time, especially. She was um, amazing and brilliant. She was a fantastic surgeon. She was a gift to her patients. And I just remember her funeral being filled with so many people. And one particular one stands out. It was the last delivery she had been involved in the last baby she had delivered and they came. Um, And so she worked through it all. And what I remember most about her time in those 10 years was that she really decided to live her life full on. And it's sad that it had to take something and it always does for most people, um, something so tragic to make you live full on. So when she was 35, when she was first diagnosed, she decided she was going to ride a bike was her first experience and she had a 10 speed so you could like imagine my dad and I and my brother trying to like 
you know, hold on to her and she would fall down and scrape her knee and she never quit. She just would always get back up. She would bruise herself, black eye, like go to work like that. And then she decided, I'm going to learn how to ski at 40. Okay. I, she was so brave. And within a year or two, she was black diamonds all the way. Like she actually even, yeah, I I never would go on those trails with her. And she said one time she literally almost fell off a cliff, but it didn't stop her. Like she was just, and the, and when she would fall, the biggest thing she would worry about, because at that time it was post chemo, that when she mm-hmm. had her second recurrence, she had chemo and she was like afraid that her wig would fall off. So she was holding on to her wig as she would like, you know, come oh off the skis. And, <laughs> but I mean, she worked through, I mean, obviously there were times she couldn't work, you know, for brief moments, but through it all, she worked, she followed, pursued her passion. Um, she just lived really, she traveled so much with not just um, my dad alone, but with us as a family, we traveled so much. And I think that she really, she knew that her time was limited. So, you know, two years before she passed, she had made a, this amazing portrait of herself that is hanging in my house that I'm so lucky to have. Now my kids are able to know who their grandmother, what she physically looked like beyond just pictures. It's this amazing regal picture of her. She rented this gorgeous dress and um, a friend of hers had painted it from a picture. And um, she was just amazing. She really was Amazing. I always say this, uh, that you know, I don't know if you ever watched MacGyver, that show with oh, R- yeah. Richard Dean absolutely. Anderson. Right? Absolutely, you know? girl. <laughs> you know how he would take like... Um... We all would pretend to be MacGyver. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just... I'm close to your age, so I'm like, yeah, I know exactly. So, did, did, was so she, she a MacGyver? She, well, in the sense that, like, she would, you know, he would have like a piece of bubble gum and a rubber band. Yeah, and oh, he yeah. could make, make anything like, out of it. He yeah. could make a rocket ship out of it. So, she would do that with like anything. Like, we'd come home and she was an exceptional cook. So, she cooked and she was a seamstress. She was always working out, she was eating as clean as possible. Um, she loved wine. She was a wine connoisseur. She got my dad really into it. So they built a wine cellar. Um, she was just amazing. She had so many talents and so many gifts. And um, it was just like always unveiling it to me was just so amazing. Mm-hmm. I And she never sat still. She was always doing something. And um, I think she just was in a hurry to live life. And she knew that it was limited as we all do, I guess. Ultimately, exactly. We right? all do. We, I mean, we know that that is, you know, or we are going to die and we don't know the when yet at the same time, why is it that for some of us, it takes those, you know, eye opening moments in life like that scary sometimes moments to just start living, you know, it mm-hmm. is, um, it is uh, sad that we have to wait for those moments to really start living, but exactly. she really made the best out of those years. And for you to see how she lived, what a great example uh, for you and your brother to yeah. see that um, grit and perseverance, um, tenacity. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm just those are just some of the words that come to mind just from what you've shared, and though the not afraid to learn new things when we're, you know, older, the falling, you know, the fact that she learned to learn, ride a bike at, you know, starting at 35 and all these different things that she did, the skiing, you know, it's, uh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. What an amazing woman. 
Uh, I can see even more now, though, why it is you are the woman you are, my dear. Oh, thank um, you. You're too yeah. kind. Oh, no, I'm just being uh, truthful. I'm being honest. Love, how was it for you about to um, then, be, you were mentioning, of course, finding out when you were 12 uh, about her diagnosis and then when she passed at 12, at 20, when you were 22, what were some of the tools that you used in order to help you in your grieving process or your, your so or your mourning process? I, I heard the difference between mourning and grieving. Mourning are the things we do in order mm-hmm. to help us grieve. So whether journaling or singing or walking in nature or planting a tree in honor of somebody, you know, things like that. And grieving is just those moments in which it just kind of, it just happens, you know, like what even just happened in this conversation. So what were some of the things you helped in your journey? Gosh, I didn't really have many tools in my toolbox, Kendra, Mm -hmm. like I do now. So mourning for me was just like eating. I was, I had a terrible Mm -hmm. relationship with food and because I couldn't control my experience with what were her or her happening. experience yes, yes. I was around controlling mm-hmm. what I ate and I, I developed some OCDs around uh, things mm-hmm. in my life like if I was doing something like a homework and I thought of my mom's illness I would like rip it up and start over because I was like I can't put that thought that negative thought it was oh, really wow. yeah it was very uh, paralyzing in some ways so the OCDs and and I didn't have the tools about, I didn't know about journaling and I didn't really understand gratitude. I was just very much um, drowning in that lack of control that I had. So it was really hard to t- give you anything that I did that was productive for me. That was helpful. Yeah. How about in terms of your beliefs? Uh, what were your family, if, if, if you're okay with sharing that, what was your family's belief about death? Because sometimes that also has an impact of how we deal with a death. Do you remember it being something you guys no, talked about no, in your family? No, never, we never did. We kind of just brushed things like that under the mm-hmm. table. We didn't really have we weren't religious. I mean, I know that my parents believed in God and, and I and I do too. And I'm very, very spiritual and I pray all the time now. But and I know my dad was always doing that, but like I didn't we didn't have any um connection to religion, to be quite honest. So I don't remember having any sort of understanding about the life after death and whatnot. Um so it was it was not I didn't feel like it was at all I, it was very dysfunctional for me the way that I handled it because it was the only way I knew how. Well, that is, um, yeah, that is what you knew. So it's not, I mean, that is what it was. So we can't control what it was, right? right. No, it's just what it is. So then what then, that was in your 20s, mm-hmm. um, kind of what, when did like the journey of kind of trying to either, was it personal growth? What What were some of then the things that you started to pick up along the way um, to help you? To, to mourn or to grieve. To, um, to yeah. Well, did, I just, did, or did you just kind of happen, just it, it, happen um, on its own? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I guess I my, maybe my now looking back, my only sense uh, that I can have of how I handled it was always talking about her, was just always oh, that is talking about her. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, not until I joined the health and wellness company that you and I are both a part of, did I really develop any skills about personal development or mindset um, mm. I really didn't have any tools whatsoever. I, so 
for me at the time, I was just talking about her all the time, really. That was uh, it. And you know what? That is a that is a great way of remembering somebody that's passed is by sharing stories and uh, keeping their memory alive in that way. So that is a that is one of your methods. That was one of your methods. So mm-hmm. aside from the OCDness that was developed as a side, you know, um, effect, I guess, from what you had experienced, um, then the the way that you really healed in, I mean, it's, you're constantly healing. It's again, it's not a fixing. Exactly. <laughs> We're not trying to fix. It's not a fixing. There's nothing to fix. Grief is right. not about fixing anything. Right. Um, but it's about just being able to live with it in a way that it's healthier and you know manageable in our lives, that we're not hurting ourselves or hurting those around us. And so by talking about her, I'm sure that that really helped. Now, was that something that others in your family also would do? Like, would you sit around and be like, oh, remember no, when mom did the really. skiing down the hill and her <laughs> wig would fall off and she'd put it back on? <laughs> Humor for me is one of my ways. Like, oh, so me too. When yeah. you said that the image of her, you know, oh my gosh, I'm more worried about Right. right. No, I don't think we really did that as a family. Again, like after my mom died, my dad did take my brother and myself to um, a psychiatrist to sit down and talk. And it was just the only one time we ever did that together. Um, But I don't know. I mean, I guess I just talked about it with um, my friends at the time. Um, I really don't recall, you know, having family discussions and you know initially it was kind of again I was in med school I was kind of just focusing on that and really working hard and you know the friends that I had at the time I would you know talk about the loss but it wasn't um, something that I remember as a family sitting and reminiscing although we did you know have some videos and things that we would watch um, which are just treasures yeah but yeah that is wonderful yeah, so I don't remember it being anything more than that for me. And did you have other family in the in the states um, when they moved from Iran? Oh yeah, did other family members? Oh did yeah, they we live had... in New York area too. In the New well, York we, area, yeah, my aunt, my dad's sister, she's a huge part of our life. She was like mm-hmm. kind of the matriarch of our family at the time when we came here. She had come here first, like brave. She's also a physician, a cardiologist um, since retired, and she took us in. So we lived with her for so many years. And so when, um, at the time, we were not my, you know, we had had our own home for several years, but after my mom Because you were died, born in Iran. You were yeah, born in Iran yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah. So yeah. you were how old when you guys- I, um, I was like an immigrant. infant, maybe a year, maybe less, okay, maybe, really, yeah, maybe okay. between one and two. But okay. um, we, we then moved in with my aunt for a time being because my dad could not live in that house anymore because that's mm-hmm. where my mom died and there were too many memories. So we sold that house. We lived with her for a bit. My dad bought another house not far away from that. Um, so, yeah, we always had my aunt. And I have another aunt who lives in um, Jersey, but uh, it was really that aunt that we had kind of lived with for so long. So she was a big part of that for me. Um, Did she become somebody that you would reach out to later on in your life, because then there's a whole bunch of other life-changing moments that came, graduating from college, marrying, having children. Is she is she the person that you would call, or is it your dad? Who do you have that relationship and bond with? Yeah, um, so, you know, it's funny, because my mom's death was really the catalyst for strengthening my relationship with my dad. So he was mm-hmm. kind of somebody that I 
started to develop a really incredible relationship with after the death of my mom. You know, he worked so hard all of our lives. They both did. So, um, but it was the first time that I got to really know him um, and understand who he was. And he is um, one of my very best friends aside from my Mm -hmm. husband, you know, and, but it took that event to bring us closer. And, uh, but it's interesting because my dad has um, had a brother uh, who lived mostly in Iran who come visit and he became somebody that I connected with. He uh, really was an amazing spiritual man. And so he was, he, he believed in Sufism, which is a mystical sect. I don't Mm -hmm. know if you've ever heard of it. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. he taught me about, you know, death before dying, you know, live your life as if you were dying so that while you're still alive and, um, I, I forged an incredible bond with him. And then my mom had a partner in her practice that she was very good friends with and her, um, his wife, um, is one of my dearest, uh, reminders of my mom so she was there when my mom died in the room and she had asked my mom to watch over us and she has always been that for me she's come to the birth of all of my kids um, no matter what time of day no matter how bad she was feeling she had really bad back issues and she showed up in the delivery room with my dad and my husband there of course and so she was really a very big constant and still is in my life. And um, I'm hoping she will listen to this podcast. Oh. But she, yeah, she, um, there, there was a lot of people, you know, it takes a village. You can't do it alone. And, and sometimes they come in unexpected people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I never expected my uncle that I saw maybe a few months out of the year to ever be that for me. But he was a huge part of that part of my life in college. And then, um. Uh, when she was still alive, but I struggled with all of that was going what was going on. And then um, through med school and beyond, you know, it just became the people like you that I meet that, you know, be part of your circle that you realize how much of a common thread you all have with people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so people really people talking about her. Um and keeping her memory alive by uh, also looking at pictures and videos. So those were really your your tools. Your tools were really relying and learning and leaning on these people in your life um, that became your somewhat of your mentors. You know, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Because in this, yeah, I would tell. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I would ask Lois, my mom's really good friend. You know, tell mm-hmm. me some stories about my mom when you guys used to all hang out as adults, you know, because the kids weren't involved. And then when I had all three of my children, I didn't live anywhere near the hospital that she worked at, but it was always my dream that she would deliver my babies. Um, I wasn't that far. I mean, I was probably an hour plus away, which isn't really the safest thing to do is, you know, try to deliver so far away. But each time I would go out to Long Island to give birth in the hospital and they had had this gorgeous quilt that they made in her honor with her picture right in the middle of it. It was like life's, it was the size of an entire wall. And um, the nurses that were there, I didn't know them that well, but one of them came up to me. She goes, it's an honor to just even be in this room with you because of how much I loved your mom. And so it was really special. And all her partners delivered my three of my kids. So each partner um, delivered them. And it was, 
It was I'm the crying way to, on this uh, end. Oh my gosh. Just to think that your daughters were born in the place that your mom worked and mm-hmm. that that was um her work was a huge part of her life and how she also handled all those years that she was, you know, living with cancer and uh being able to be there and e- even the part where you shared how one of the 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 last you know the family that she had last delivered for uh was also at the funeral like all right. those kind of moments just brought me so much you know and so for you to give birth at the hospital because i was actually going to ask you that too is how is it for you as a mom to be raising three girls um and and i and not having her like in you know some you know having her do you call Louis do you call Lois who who yeah yeah, Lois yeah who is your person and how did did you notice another level of grief uh to some extent after you became a mom oh a thousand percent yeah Yeah. it was so hard to be a motherless mom and I so what's interesting is um I have a very dear friend that I only met from our kids being in school together. And that was maybe about less than five years ago. So she's so similar to me. She lost her mother to breast cancer at a young age. We are very neurotic about like clean eating. Like we're insanely similar that way. Um, We have so many similarities in our own personal characteristics in other ways. And um, she's somebody that I really heavily rely on for that. But my dad um, was fortunate enough to meet and marry a lovely lady, Donna, who, when I had my kids, was one of my saving graces. I mean, she mm. really stepped in and she was part of my village. And then my mother-in-law, who I adore, I'm so lucky. She was also, and still is, they both continue to be a huge, huge part of that um, support system for me after becoming a mom. And uh, I I don't know how I would have done it without their help. Mm-hmm. And then when my oldest was born, we had an incredible, um, wonderful nanny that helped us. And she was like the baby of 12 kids, never had her own kids, but she probably taught me more about motherhood um, mm-hmm. than anyone. Um, <laughs> even though not, she was the youngest, even though she was, she was the, the youngest oldest. of 12? She was the, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, she was, she was the, the oldest. oldest. So, I apologize. Oh, the she was oldest. the oldest. So yeah. she raised all her siblings. Yes, yeah, practically. Basically. And mm-hmm. um she just, you know, having, having my babies was the biggest gift of my life, yet it was so hard, you know, not being able to ask my mom, well, did I do this when I was little? Or how do I handle this? Or what did, what did, what did you do? Um, it was really hard because there was nobody that could answer that question in her place, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it was a whole level all over again, just like you said, it was of just opening up. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, a thousand percent. Yeah. And there's also the emotions that come from becoming a mom are just so much more heightened, right? At, when we become moms oh, anyway, yes. everything is just so much like, like I, there were certain sh- TV shows I couldn't watch anymore because I'd like be oh my bawling, God. right? Yes, because yes. it's like your emotions are just out there, you know, oh, uh, yeah. you feel for everybody. Um, yeah. It is just, there's this empathy that even if we're normally, you know, empathetic anyway like it just becomes even bigger uh when you become a mom and so aside from that then you also had the component of the grief side also kind of coming to the surface of this new experience of uh, motherhood and 
having having to do it without your mm-hmm. mom physically by your side because again she the again i i just that visual of you in that hospital and that you mentioned about the quilt with a picture on it and everybody being there i, I in my in my perspective there is no doubt in my mind in my in my viewpoint <laughs> which is it, that she was there so um, oh yeah 100% no yeah. question no question so that that is um a, a given for sure and that's just such a beautiful uh story thank you so much for sharing Aww. that do you talk about her to the to the girls oh my do gosh you all the share time stories all oh. the time yeah and so, kids love yeah. that you know in general yes. but yeah all the time I I, I I find that, um, I mean, my kids got to meet my mom, but they never met my sister because my sister died when I was 21. And so that I always say, you know, Tia Soris, which is Aunt Soris was my, her nickname. Uh, so it's like Tia Soris, you know, Tia Soris, like I'm constantly, just like how you said you would talk about your mom, I'm constantly bringing up her name to my kids all, all their life. And so- yes they feel like they know my sister, even though they never met her, you know? So, um, it is, I, I believe at least that it's a big, you know, part of, uh, an important part to be able to pass on those memories of our loved ones to these other generations. Um, because they make part of who we are too. A hundred percent. And it teaches them about how to, like, I'm such a believer, and I put this on my on my social media post recently about just breaking the cycle of generations, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. you know, my mom, she was amazing, and she tried to wear a million hats, and she still struggled internally, um, and just kind of put herself last and had her demons that, you know, she didn't probably kind of evaluate. And then I developed my own, not through any fault of anyone's, but just the process of life and my journey. And I learned the tools, you know, about personal development and mindset work. And then I try to be evolving. And so that my children will eventually break that cycle, they will be the generation that breaks that cycle. So to me, that is so critical because we don't talk about this stuff, you know, like in my mom's generation and her friends, they don't talk about the pain that they go through of general life and what the expectations of society are on uh, on them and what they have to live up to. And they don't realize, you know, how important it is to be vulnerable mm-hmm. and to talk and to be open. Um, and so it's so taboo, right? You're not allowed to tell people that you're mm-hmm. sad about something oh, or that. No. And that's why even hiding even sometimes even an illness, you know, she, there were probably, I don't know if there were some of her close friends that might have not known for a long time that she was even sick. Well, she didn't tell her, she didn't tell her mom, she didn't tell her own mother and her brother. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And then, so for them, that was a terrific blow um, because she was trying to protect them, right? Because she was always trying to be the one that protected everybody else. And in the end, Mm. it was a beautiful on them part they of, never had, yeah but it was yeah, a beautiful you know it was her way of being a beautifully kind loving daughter sister right. mother but it really we have Affected to be honest process. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a lot of times what we think we're doing in order to protect those around us to not suffer can sometimes end up making them suffer more at the end i i am a big believer in just sharing things in the moment and not hiding things uh because um it, i at least i think that finding out right 
when it would happen and not having that process of grieving through the process of somebody, for example, being sick, um, makes it so much harder. Oh my goodness. Uh, yeah. It's, um, it's as if you had, it's as if it had been like a sudden death rather, you know, it really, because you're just finding out that in that way. So, uh, but again, again, taking back to that, it goes back to what you were mentioning. Your mom was doing it out of love. Your mom was, oh, not, yes. you know, the reason she chose to do that was based out of love. And it was based on her upbringing and her, um, her way of also maybe culturally what she had grown up seeing and how, you know, that is just how, how it is. So it's up to us to then, like you said, break cycles that can bring more harm than good, you know, it's just yes. kind of uh, break those for our next generations. Um, I wanted to also ask you, you mentioned again about the personal growth and development. And so how is that now? Like, how did that kind of start come playing a part? You mentioned you started implementing that after you, um, you joined our health and wellness company. And mm -hmm. how, how did that kind of come into your life? And what is it that you see now that has been a big shift for you? So I... I mean, I just learned um, about the importance of just daily gratitude, right? So, you know, even going through what's happening now with COVID-19, um, just being able to live in gratitude that, you know, we are blessed because we are together as a family more now than ever um, and just being grateful for and I used to say this before I learned the personal development, you know, some people would ever have a mom like my mom was for me, but yet I had the privilege of at least having her for 22 years of my life. So mm -hmm. just being grateful for that and grateful that my dad and I have a strengthened relationship cool. yeah, and grateful. Relation. That yeah. would have probably not happened, that relationship. No. That, that's one of the things that I no. noticed the most in our family dynamics of how much it changed when one piece of that puzzle was not there, how it completely made the shift in the inner relations. I would not have mm -hmm. the relationship I have with my brother and my sister. I guarantee it had my sisters or Anna still, it would be different. It would be, I would have a relation. It would just be different. It would be um, different. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then gratefulness, uh, creative gratitude. Yeah. Attitude, and then gratitude. just, mm -hmm. um, just knowing that anything you want to create in your life is by your design. So mm -hmm. just understanding that I don't have to be, um, you know, worried about my destiny with health. And uh, on the flip side of it, for me also, beside the mindset work was just throwing myself into the world of healing um, on a level different than I was trained conventionally in medical school, but more about how we are not destined to live out the genes that we may have and that there is a science called epigenetics meaning above the gene and that our lifestyle our nutrition our the people we surround ourselves with our community our thoughts are all tied into that and so because of this company of ours that we're both in i was able to connect with mindset leaders and thought leaders and um just be able to open like the channels of neuroplasticity, right? Just to be able to make new synapses, to know that I can have control over the things that are a part of my life, that I am in the driver's seat. And then ultimately for me, it's always been about passing that torch to my daughters, sometimes prematurely because 
everyone has always told me, rightfully so, that you got to start with you, Val. You got to learn mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. before you teach them. But they're always in that center of my universe. So teaching them and learning has become like such a huge part of my life because of uh, partly because of this company and all the people I've met through it and the community. So that's really what I have now to be a tool in my toolbox and yeah. how lucky I feel for that. I know. And I, I feel like we always say this, but it's uh, the company we're a part of. It's like, it's a personal growth and development company disguised as a health and wellness company. Right. Exactly. <laughs> but that's all of, that's what health and wellness is, right? It's all about really? personal growth. Well, you never exactly. stop. Yeah. Yeah, and health and wellness is not j- it's about our mind, our body, our soul. It's more than just our body. It's our yes. you know, our mind and and our emotions and our uh and yeah, how we think, how we feel and then all the human experiences we have, those interactions. The you know, I something came up as you were saying and it's really interesting to see that aspect of control how when your mom passed away, you mm-hmm. thought since you didn't have control over her passing, then you were controlling than what you could control, which was food. And in that case, you were using it as comfort. Mm -hmm. And now how all of us, you know, all after your journey now to see and in your journey, how the control of health component of how we choose to eat has that effect in our health. And Mm -hmm. that that is some aspect that we have in control. Uh, And I always tell this to my kids too, is that it's, we can only do what we can. So I'm like, I can't guarantee that because I'm eating organic or because I'm eating X, Y, and Z and this and that, that I'm going to be, you know, healthy for the rest. I can't guarantee that. I can't, but I am doing what's in my control (laughs) to live the healthiest life I can and hoping that if food, you know, food being medicine, that at least I am, you know, doing the right thing. And I, I, is that, I want to then now uh, talk a little bit about how you now practice your being a dermatologist. And now that you have this aspect of health and wellness in your background, how do you then merge these two and how do you inspire patients? So I believe in my heart of hearts that um, there is no compartmentalization of health. So yes, I specialize in dermatology because growing up I had terrible acne and I can totally relate and I love the field for so many reasons, especially because it allows me flexibility in my schedule to be just working part-time so I could be home with my girls. But truly, you know, it's not a compartmentalized thing, health and wellness, it's all integrative. And that's why I pursued a fellowship in integrative medicine that I just completed in February. Mm -hmm. But so I practice it just authentically in my office that when somebody comes with a skin issue, it's really just a story of something Mm -hmm. internally that's going on. And we kind of unfold that in the office and um, really try to connect the dots the best we can to understand that We can use um, the marriage of Western and Eastern medicine to really kind of get great results, but more importantly, how powerful they are. And they don't need to relinquish that power to a physician or an external source, that they can find those answers. And um, one of the greatest tools I learned from um, a mindset coach uh, is the that that power and and I started to read about Dr. Joseph Dispenza and his mm-hmm. work and how 
neuroscience and quantum physics have so much to do. Like our nervous system is our greatest pharmacy, right? Like you hear about the placebo effect when somebody has a sugar pill and they don't know mm -hmm. it and then all their <laughs> symptoms go away, right? Like that just yeah. means that our body yeah. <laughs> can heal, right? Yeah. I mean, mm -hmm. we Because it starts with the part of, with the mind, with the fact right. that the people think they are and then, yeah. Yeah, you think so it, it, you, you make it. Yeah, what's that right. saying? You think you, you think you what think, you think you. You, you. I know the saying: if you change yeah. your thoughts, you change your to, world yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah something. something like yeah. So for me, like the power of our own bodies that want to intrinsically walk towards health, it's a really exceptional thing. Um, and yes, it's frustrating because it doesn't happen overnight. And neither did my journey, and I'm not even done. But every day I try to just be a little bit better than I was, just a little bit, even with my nutrition, even with my you know, mindset that I'm working so hard on. Meditation is something I'm really trying to focus on. And it's not easy for this crazy, busy mind to be oh, like sitting no, no, still. No. Oh, that's me. That's me. For me, my meditation is just even walking my dog. Like even in, you know, walking my dog in silence is my meditation. Or if I yeah. stand on the grass barefoot is my meditation. You know, prayer is a big part of my life. Yes. Um, I do that a but, lot. Yeah. Yeah. But it's interesting meditation. I find it hard as well. So I have to be doing something, even the shower, just that running the, you know, when I'm showering, it's like all these amazing thoughts come in my mind, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like yes. it's peaceful. So what are, what are some of the things that you have found for meditation that work for our, our busy type of minds that we, I'm we have? I'm still searching girlfriend. <laughs> I don't know. Um, I just started to do the last three days. Uh, uh, Bob Proctor has a abundance meditation. Uh-huh. So I've been doing that really, it's the most consistent I've ever done anything for the last three days, which is like a big deal. Um, and um, I guess just prayer, like I, you know, that's something I do every day with my kids in the morning, at night, during the day, mm -hmm. if I'm finding myself like reeling out of control with anxiety for whatever reason. So yeah, I, that for me has worked and um, we'll see. I'm always open to learning new things about how to calm my mind. Hmm. Well, I, you've just shared so much, Val, and um, I know everybody listening is going to have gone on this emotional ride with us, I hope, <laughs> and uh, be able to also take a whole bunch of nuggets of experience and, um, and tips along the way of what they can do in their life. Um, and if anything, uh, when they were listening to kind of feel that comfort of knowing that you know, if they've got those waves that have come in the middle of their day or in a conversation like we had, even in this one, that is absolutely normal. And, um, and that is a huge gift, I think, for when someone else can feel connected to uh, another person's story and be able to heal themselves. So thank you so much for sharing all of this. And now, Val, before we close off, how can people get in touch with you if they want to find out a little bit more of even just how you practice your uh, your medicine? And now, oh, with yeah, yeah. How, well, what's the best husband, way to find you? 
Yeah, my husband and I are creating a vision board of our future practice together online. But for now, for now, Ooh, we don't have that. Um, so it. you can you see always... the time, the time that you're using during this quarantine of creating this amazing vision board of your practice. Awesome. Yeah. So they can find me through my Facebook page, which is Valerie Knows That. It is a private page, but um, if you know. Okay. I, they That's can fine. always send me a message. And um, I do have a practice in uh, the Orange County area of New York. So um, oh, I didn't even can... know there was an Orange County in New York. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> I, so being from being that I lived in California, I would think of Orange County, California. I know, and right? It's, like, it's oh. not it's not the same. It's not the same. Yeah. Um, so I'll put I'll put whatever information you give me. I can that you'd like public. I yeah, can share I'll just it in the put show my notes. social. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, yeah you can share my Instagram and my and my Facebook page. That probably be the easiest way for people. Perfect. To reach I'll put me. that in the in the show notes so that if people want to reach out and see how they can see you either in person or just even follow and be inspired, they can do so. And I'm oh, just I would so love grateful. that. I'm ready. To, I want to impact anybody I can, Kendra. And oh, well, so right much. now with this call, you did already, my dear, as well. Thank the, you. Uh, you just did by this call. I say call. This podcast, it is called slash recorded to become a podcast. So um, thank you so much again, Val. I love you. And thanks for I sharing. I love you dearly. Thank you for all, all your you do, story. Kendra. You're a gift, a gift. Oh, I the, I told this to Kim in the last interview, and you know who I'm talking about, Kim, since yes. uh, she's your friend as well. But she just started to say that I'm like, no, 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 it's not about me. This is not my podcast. It's it's about you. It's your. <laughs> so I say the same here. I'm so grateful. Love you, dear. Love you. Thanks too, again. Andrew. Okay. Bye and now. Thank you all for tuning in. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.